Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to have you here today. Today on the That's What She Said podcast, we have a very special guest. Some would say she's not even a guest, because in fact, she absolutely isn't. But since we have no friends, and there's a raging pandemic, let's welcome Nina Durga to the stage. Oh, this applause is totally real from our live studio audience and is definitely not added during editing. Anyway, many of you know Nina from basically, well, every single episode of this podcast, but I'd like to give her a little introduction. Nina is a friend, colleague, slam poet, podcast host, sociology major, UI UX design enthusiast, and just overall goddess. Nina was originally born in Delhi, I think. I should have really done more research for this episode, but moved in the second grade to Palo Alto in California for three and a half years. She later moved back to Delhi, with Goa being somewhat of a second home, but at heart, she has always been a traveler. In fact, during her 21 years of life, she has traveled to the following. <clears throat> France, Italy, Spain, Russia, Portugal, Israel, Jordan, Morocco, Amsterdam, Germany, Slovenia, Canada, Egypt, America, the Czech Republic, Britain, Turkey, Ecuador, New Zealand, Brazil, and of course, India. She now goes to college in Manhattan, New York. So yes, one could say my best friend is indeed quite well-traveled. And today, I thought we could sit down and spend some time to have a chat with her about her experiences. And as always, I'm your somewhat mediocre, somewhat pretentious host for the evening, Sarah. Plot twist, this just in. Dear human beings, I would like to present our second guest for this podcast, Sarah Kamboch. <laughs> yes, we are both simultaneously guests and hosts. You heard that right. As you can tell, we have many friends. No, I didn't mean friends. I meant friend, singular. Sarah was born in New Delhi, India, and... As you may know from these podcast episodes, she is a super talented mechanical engineer, an avid reader, a lover of dogs, a stunning person overall, and a wonderful hike taker. She's hashtag fit as well. <laughs> Anyways, um, brief history on Sarah's life. She was born in New Delhi and shortly moved to New York at the ripe age of 11 months. Four years later, she moved to Cape Town and then jet-setted to London, followed by Paris, Pretoria, her college town of Boston, and finally, most recently, Bhutan, which is where she's recording this episode from. Talk about hashtag catch flights, not feelings. What I love about the places that Sarah has lived in is that they are so different from each other and have probably taught her a lot about life and culture and people. So me and Sarah, we're really honored to have you on this podcast. Sarah. Disclaimer, these aren't actually including the places that Sarah has traveled to, just the places that Sarah has lived in. Over to you, Sarah. What a wonderful introduction. Thank you, Nina. And I don't know what to say, um, but I shall bravely attempt to carry on. So, um, yes, Nina, I want to start by asking you, Palo Alto versus New York, 
culturally, can you tell us what it's like having to call both of these places home? That's a great question, Sarah. And I think growing up in Delhi until the age of six, I watched a lot of American TV in a way. All these TV shows, you know, were mostly like Sweet Life of Zack and Cody and Disney TV shows were mostly set in the US. And so I did have a general idea of like American things like Thanksgiving and Halloween and cheeseburgers and Texas, you know. So um, I, I did feel like when I eventually moved to the US, I didn't feel like I was observing them as much, but I did, on the other hand, feel very observed because I was the new thing. You know, I, uh, my mom used to pack me Indian food in a thermos that you just opened and the whole room would smell like saffron and, and biryani. And um, I felt very conscious about that, if we're being very honest. And my mom also sometimes used to make me wear these really beautiful kurtas and I hated it. I hated the blue and pink kurtas. I used to push them at the back of my cupboard because I didn't want anyone to, you know, see that I was wearing these things and feel ethnic. I wanted to fit in. I wished my mom would give me $5 so I could just buy myself, you know, the pizza lunch rather than eat my biryani. And I I even used to like throw it sometimes and tell my mom I used to eat it. And I hope she's not listening to this podcast because I've never told her that. But um, I, I, I did feel very observed. And I think at the same time, I didn't experience culture shock because I didn't feel surprised by anything that happened to me that even though some things were pretty surprising. For example, how independent uh, in general everyone was in the US. I would go to my friend's house and they would just, you know, be a nuclear family of four. Um, And so coming back to the answer of what has it been like calling both of these places home, I think I've been able to pick and choose parts of each culture and sort of just mix it up in a blender and I I believe that I'm an amalgamation. So for example, um, my family, we eat dinner really, really early. Another food related thing is my mom is obsessed with organic food and homegrown food. She has her own vegetable patch you know she's really into organic avocados and lemons and or anything she she used to have a lemon tree also in palo alto and that's kind of how we got into organic food another thing is intellectual discussions i mean this is not necessarily cultural but it's something that we picked up or i guess became a part of our family life in palo alto because we always used to listen to Spick McKay or um, podcasts. That was definitely something I learned in Palo Alto, which is to have discussions with parents and being very used to having discussions with adults at a very young age. So to summarize, I think there are parts of me that are very Indian and always will be. Of course, I am Indian. Um, For example, the importance of family, the idea of just celebrating in India. I love how much we celebrate. We celebrate our dog's birthdays. We celebrate our Nana and Nani's anniversary. We celebrate the day that our sister graduated from college. Everything is just a celebration here. And that is something I really missed when I was in the US where celebrations were kind of more like designated to dates like Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter. Here we definitely celebrate more. So I would like to think I celebrate life more because of India. So, Sarah, I would love to ask you the same thing. Culturally, what has it been like calling so many places home? What are some things that have stuck with you from different cultures? Um, thank you for your question, my dear host. Um, 
I guess I wouldn't call any place I've traveled or lived in home. So perhaps the question should be, what has it been like calling no place home? And I mean, that's it's it's been fine. And I think it's been nuanced because I know I'll always have Indian roots because they're just so embedded within me. But I think I feel a neutrality when it comes to home as a physical space. Um, you know, maybe it'll be Uttarakhand in India, but I haven't been there yet. Um, but you know, it, it was funny because when I was I when I was seventeen, I was living in Paris, and I felt a lot of guilt accompanied with the gratitude of living in so many different places. And it's not just I, that I lived in so many different countries. It's also that I just had such incredible opportunities within them. And so I remember one day my mom was, um, you know, she was sitting on my bed and I told her I felt so guilty because my life had been so blessed because of all these experiences. And she said something to me that day, which has made me feel so much more at peace and has filled me with gratitude rather than any like negative emotion. And she just said, as long as you honor the places you have lived in and that they're able to show in your character, then there's no need for guilt. And so I've always tried to do this in some way. I mean, I like to think that I get my fashion sense from Paris, you know, even though it's definitely not French, but it's just my feeble attempt submerged in profound admiration for the French. Um, you know, I like to think that my eating and health habits are from South Africa, which by the way, I feel like most people don't know that South Africa is just like this hidden gem of the world. Like, Really, I have never seen anything like it. Its raw beauty is unmatched. And honestly, some of the most like healthy and beautiful people live in that country. But I digress, I digress. Um, I like to think that my love for literature, poetry, and generally just people who look like they're from a Ralph Lauren catalog comes from London, that my respect for spirituality and tradition comes from Bhutan, that my academic fearlessness and creativity comes from my privilege to study in the United States. And, you know, of course, my notions of respect and work ethic come from India. So I just hope that, to answer your question, I can carry these little pockets of each country in my heart and hopefully, hopefully they will show in my personality because truly, I really do honor each country for housing me and teaching me more than anything really ever could. Um, but back to you, my dear guest slash host. Um, I think it would be really interesting if we could talk about your time in Paris because it's truly so inspiring. Um, so in case any of you don't know, Nana did an internship in Paris for three months during the summer of 2018. Please correct me if I'm wrong and I didn't research this well enough. Um, and she went into Paris knowing she'd be living completely alone in her own apartment, knowing no one in the city, not perfectly knowing the language or really anything about living alone. It was her first time doing that. Um, so Nana, tell us. What is something you have learned from living alone and creating a life from scratch? Wow, that is a loaded question. And the short answer is that I learned how to be alone. I learned how to respect myself and enjoy time with just myself, quality time with myself. 
The longer answer is, I like to think that I went to Paris as a girl and I emerged as a woman. Um, I was really a social butterfly. You know, I was really afraid to be alone at first. In college, you know, I had this false sense that I'm independent and I live alone. And I, No, you know, I had meal plans. I was surrounded by people my age. I was surrounded by people who spoke the same language as me. And I had a structure to my days. I would go to class and then I would go to my club meetings and I would then go to the dining halls with my friends. That was not being independent, you know, like, honey, I should have really realized that that was in no way being independent. It was a step. It was a stepping stone for sure um, from living, you know, with your parents as a high schooler to going to college. But Paris was something completely different. So for context, I was doing some research at the Centre National Recherche Scientifique. I may have completely butchered that, but CNRS. And it was really cool because I was able to be in an office environment where I was actually the youngest person there. Um, and everyone spoke French. There was not a kind of program, you know, that you sign up for, like study in Paris or something. like. It was like an actual job where I was thrown into the deep end. And I really was afraid because it was the first time in my life that I was not going to have any friends or people I knew. First, I was very, very, I I was just like sticking to myself. I was not happy the first week. I was really desperate for my mom and I wanted her to stay with me for as much time as she could. And she was uh, traveling to London, but I asked her, can you come back and can you stay with me? I was really sad when she left because I was like, now I'm really alone. So um, after that, I think I from being someone who hated going to cafes and sitting alone to someone who, um, you know, slowly it was baby steps. I I sat at a park by myself and then I was like, okay, that was a fine experience. And then I sat, I went to a museum by myself and then I went to finally a cafe by myself and got a table for one and I felt much better about that. And the funny thing is that the more I was alone and did things by myself, the more I attracted people, um, which is something that I really didn't expect to happen. But I went to a museum. Um, it was great. Someone approached me after saying, you look really confident. Are you here with friends? And I was like, no, I'm not here with, I'm just here alone. And he asked me like, why are you here alone? And I was like, because I want to enjoy this museum by myself. And, you know, it's it's great to look at art yourself and introspect and not have to like match uh, which floor both of you are on at the same time or constantly discuss the art with the other person. You just think about it yourself and you have a great time. And, and he was kind of intrigued by that. And he was like, oh, I've not met many people who, you know, are just be by themselves and can do go to museums by yourself and that's so cool and I was like yeah yeah I'm doing that then I went to a gallery and um there was this person who was standing in front of me in, in front of a really great photograph and I wanted to take a picture of the photograph and I said excuse me can you please move I'm trying to take a picture of the photograph and he just looked at me and he kind of like gave me the smirk and um, I didn't think of anything of it, but then I looked at the about section of the photograph of who the photographer was, and it was him. And so I'd asked the photographer to move from his own um, photo, and he looked at me, look at the about section, and, and both of us were just like made eye contact, and I was like, oh, this is so awkward. But then he came up to me, and he started talking to me, and 
the, the gallery closed at like 6 p.m. But we ended up talking till 8 p.m. or something. And um, there was like a little balcony on, on the gallery. And uh, he's like, oh, come, we can hang out here. He called his friends. Um, his friends couldn't speak English and my French wasn't good enough to speak with them. But uh, between my broken French and their broken English, we managed a conversation for two hours and we just talked and we ended up exchanging numbers. And, um, you know, we made plans to hang out later that evening. But there are many stories like these I can go on about the man I made friends with on the metro or like the woman I made friends with at a bar because I you know held back her hair this one time and I just out of whatever I was there alone and so I ended up making a lot of friends because I was alone and I ended up also being able to understand um a lot of things in my life that I wanted to change because I had all this time to myself to just sit and read and meditate and introspect and so I did learn the importance of independence. I learned about myself with greater depth. I understood more about friendship. And ultimately, I attracted more people. And I'm still friends with most of these people that um, I met in Paris. So that's my two cents on that. Um, Sarah, I would like to ask you as a host now, back in host mode. In a similar but different way, you have also had to create a life from scratch by moving every three years. What are your thoughts on that? Well, of course, I want to say that I think the way we did it was quite different because you completely moved to the city on your own with your luggage. Um, when I moved, I all I had my parents because I was very young. You know, I moved a lot and I had to do this kind of repetition each time, this drill of making new friends and going to a new school and getting adjusted. And I think if I described this person to you, you would probably assume they were an extrovert or a social butterfly because they were just so used to making friends and starting over and probably they were very charming. And I can assure you I'm none of those things. Um, and I think my lifestyle just further made me an introvert. I mean, I was always one, but I think this lifestyle brought it out even more, which can be somewhat counterintuitive. But I just stuck to myself a lot of the time. But yeah, I was just so happy being on my own. Like when I was younger, I was undoubtedly the happiest and weirdest kid. Like I was always talking to myself, creating painfully elaborate narratives about, you know, all my toys and the various kingdoms and wars that they had to conquer. Um, I just remember being like super hyper and imaginative and pretending I was a fairy or some character in a book. I mean, I would like write my own stories even um, and just dance to music which didn't exist or name all the birds I saw that day. I was just a really strange and happy kid. And, you know, of course, looking back, I say all of this, but I was oblivious to the fact that I was all these things as a child. Um, I just was these things. And in a way, I think that's quite lucky because I sort of learned to be independent by accident. And I think that's really lucky, as I said, because learning to be independent can be a really painful lesson for people. Like if you're used to having grown up with siblings or your childhood friends or just even living in the same house or country for that matter, you get used to a certain life. And so when that changes every three years so rapidly, I mean, I went from like Europe to Africa to Asia, you know, like I didn't have that level of comfort with my surroundings. And so without trying, my life sort of made me enjoy being independent from the beginning. And 
I've always just sort of been a happy introvert in my own bubble. Um, so yeah, I would say that's what I've learned. Um, but anyway, enough about me. Let's switch gears again. Um, and let's talk about something completely different. So Nina, back to you. I want to talk to you about something really interesting, which is tourist traveling versus authentic exploring. And I think specifically when you went to Venice quite recently, um, no, well, not quite recently, like two years ago, you explored the city so beautifully and I was so inspired by the way you did it. So I want you to tell us how you did that and what depth did it give you about the city? Wow, this is a loaded answer. And so I'm going to try and keep this to bullet points. So quick and dirty tricks, stuff that you can do for your next trip if you want to do authentic exploring. Number one, never stay at a hotel. There are many families that love the comfort of a Marriott or a timeshare of like those clean white sheets and the smell of lemongrass as soon as the lobby, you hit the lobby and the sound of jazz in the elevator. No, we have, I don't even remember the last time I stayed at a hotel when I traveled last. We usually go for homestays or Airbnbs and I know that Airbnb is kind of problematic for some countries, you know, it's, it's, taking away from actual homes, gentrification, all these different things. But we have tried to either stay with a friend, do a homestay, things like that, because hotels really look all the same. The Hilton in Costa Rica is the same as the Hilton in Morocco. So I have definitely stayed in very interesting places. Um, so for example, when I went to Petra in Jordan, it was a desert. We actually stayed in tents um, in the desert. I, I woke up, I was in a cot with string and I looked up and there was no roof. It was just the stars. And that was the first time I actually slept outdoors. But I think that was one of another memorable experience is just always try to go for homestays or places that aren't hotels. So that's number one. Number two is always try and eat authentic food. Um, you know, it, it the menu, if the menu is in English and they are like trying to sell the food to you and they're like, this is really great food and you, there's a cheeseburger on the menu, do not eat at that restaurant because there is no way that that is authentic at all. Um, instead, don't ask, you know, and just anyone for restaurants. Don't go on TripAdvisor or Lonely Planet. Instead, like, ask someone who's literally like on the street who's speaking the language you know like where does your family eat if you get invited for whatever reason to their home eat there like eat with them I've uh one time my family we were in um we were in where were we I'm trying to remember we were I think we were in Spain and someone invited us to um go to their home and eat dinner and it was kind of like one of those moments where we're like are you sure like are we gonna get murdered but we went anyways and um, they made the most lovely like honey and breads and food and it was just delicious and there's no way a restaurant could have even come close to that so um you know be open-minded go to these places if the menu is not in a language you can understand that's okay you can just close your eyes and choose something and then ask the waiter or whoever is that you know explain what you're eating and that's okay you know if you want to eat quail eggs eat quail eggs even if your mind is telling you that this is gross just do it try it take the leap it can't be that bad so that's number two number three is take local transport 
do not take Ubers everywhere or do not, you know, just try to either walk, try to take the bus, try to take the metro, whatever is local to that area. So, for example, like the metro in Russia is stunning. Like, it's just a sight in itself. You have to go, you have to, it is the most design wise. Also, it is the most elegant station to exist. So in Italy, for example, you'll see that the mode of transport is literally to walk. It's not taking those boats. So also be wary because sometimes they'll try and sell to you like, oh, we locals travel by elephant or camel or boat. And, you know, they don't. So so also be very aware of how people are traveling. Just observe. Um, start by walking and then see what people are, are doing. So that's number three. Yeah, so I would say my biggest tip is to just take long walks. Let yourself get lost day one. Don't take a map or anything. Just know the way back home, but definitely just let yourself walk, let yourself observe, let yourself just get get a feel of, you know, where you're at. So that is tip number four. And my last tip is to try and speak the language as much as possible. So it's not even funny. I know thank you in Russian, it's spasiba. I know your welcome is das vidania. I know thank you in Portuguese is obrigada. In Italian, it's grazie, prego. You know, it, in Arabic, it's shukran. Uh, hello is um, salam alaikum. So there are all these random words from different languages that I know. And even when you meet someone who's, you know, from say Egypt and they speak Arabic, you just have to say salam alaikum to them. And they'll be like, how do you know that? You know, it's just one word gets you so far. One word can get you a free meal. One word can get you an invitation. One word can get you like a tip that may just save your life or something or prevent you from getting mugged. So always just learn the basics. You know, if they can learn to say hello and thank you in your language, you can learn how to say hello and thank you in their language. I just think it is a matter of respect to be able to greet and honor the place that you are in. Like you talked about honor, Sarah. I just think it is very important to learn hello and thank you. At least hello and thank you. Um, so that's all I have for you on authentic traveling sarah what about you do you have any thoughts on authentic traveling because perhaps you haven't taken upon being a tourist as much because you've lived in all these places but what are your thoughts as a local i guess about tourists well basically because i have very little to my personality besides liking radiohead way too much (laughs) i'm gonna quote tom york in okay computer the tourist well the song The Tourist in the album OK Computer. And uh, he says, hey man, slow down, idiot, please slow down. Um, and I, I really felt that. So basically the song is, uh, part of it is basically about tourists when they go to places and how they're literally just running from monument to monument. Like you're not even, you know, taking time to actually reflect on what's surrounding you your mind is just racing to get to the next destination to take the next picture to get to the next thing in the agenda so that you can just do everything in a day um and i think that's sort of an issue when the process of tourism and visiting is rushed and the focus is on just checking the check boxes it's not on actually breathing in and experiencing the city I also think it's important for people to realize that for cities where their economy is so dependent on tourism, a part of the landscape of that city is just dedicated 
to tourists. And so to actually experience the heart of the culture, you have to filter out all of that stuff, which is for the tourists, and then actually get to the good stuff. You know, I was a local in Paris for three and a half years, and I was so blessed for that. But I have a lot of, when I tell people that, a lot of people tell me, yeah, but I didn't like Paris so much. And I think I've reached a point where I completely get it. Because for most tourists, Paris is shopping at Champs-Élysées, aka overpriced stores you can find anywhere in the world. You know, it's waiting in freezing lines to get on top of this freezing Eiffel Tower. It's going to generic hotels with no authentic character. It's overpriced cafes and restaurants with no real French food. Um, and so the, the, the image that they're left with is that Paris is just overpriced with long lines. And so that's why, it, you know, as you said, it's so important. If you know a local, ask them where they go. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to Paris anytime soon, but every Sunday I used to go to Bichou for the bread in Victor Hugo. You know, find the places where the regulars go to get their croissants and espressos. Find the spots in the city where everybody just goes to gather and soak in the energy of the Friday evenings. Because in this sort of way, you are doing tourism through memories. You're creating memories. You are creating emotional, you're creating an emotional link to that city. But what I've seen too often is that people don't do any of this and they just go and they just think that hopping from monument to monument, taking pictures is tourism when it's not at all, you know? I think the rise of social media, especially the rise of Instagram, has propagated this culture of people just wanting to create a really aesthetic story or highlight on their Instagram feed. And so, you know, they'll spend all their energy just taking pictures rather than soaking in the culture of the city. And I don't want to place a value judgment on that because there's nothing wrong with taking pictures. There's nothing wrong with Instagram. But it's the idea where that for every second you're just living for how to project your trip rather than actually creating an experience which will shape and change your perspective for so many years to come. And while I know it can be intimidating to talk to locals, especially in France, um, make the effort because you are not going to get a full experience without it. You know, it's, it's a good thing if you're uncomfortable when you're traveling, because if you're comfortable, that means that you're just getting what you're getting, you know, where you live. But to be uncomfortable means that you are really experiencing something which is different. You are experiencing another culture and another part of the world. So it's it's a good thing to be challenged and it's a good thing to have your perspectives broadened. And so, yeah, just experience things with your soul rather than anything else. Thank you so much for that answer, Sarah. There's so much that resonates with me. I think you were the one who kind of taught me how to travel authentically in the beginning you gave me the initial things to see in Paris truly things to see not just like Eiffel Tower and I probably went to the Eiffel Tower like twice honestly and I feel because of you I really got to live and experience Paris so if I never thanked you for that I'm thanking you now so thank you for that um, another thing I think I wanted to end this with is that the idea that traveling doesn't have to be expensive. Um, you know, I was on a very tight budget as a student. You just need to know how to manage your money really well. And of course, you need to make sacrifices. I mean, I rarely ate out 
to be very honest. Um, but I would instead spend that money on tickets to a museum or an, a gallery or an exhibition, or I would save money um, to take a train to visit Berlin or something like that. You know, I would stay in hostels. I, I don't think that traveling needs to be expensive. I do think there are workarounds, there are hacks, there are tips and tricks. And if you'd like to hear that, we can definitely make another podcast about that. But um, I do want to say that um, I have learned personally that traveling doesn't have to be something that only people with a lot of money can do. You know, as long as you travel smart and you're willing to make some sacrifices and be a little uncomfortable at times, you can do it. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. We are going to have a follow-up episode on kind of a more personal note on how um, these places that we've lived in or traveled to have shaped us and our friendships. So I really hope you enjoyed this and we can't wait to see you next week with another episode. Thank you so much. Lots of love from your hosts, Sarah and Nana, and your guests, Sarah and Nana. (laughs)